This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. If you think of it, the foot is the base of the house, right? It's the base of your body. So if we can set up the way that your foot alignment is, we can set up the way that your leg alignment is, your back alignment, et cetera, et cetera, and really prevent a lot of sports injuries, especially things like running or any kind of sport. Welcome to the new and expanded 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson. And we're here to talk about your health and wellness-related issues. On today's show, we're going to discuss how gut health affects your mood, mental performance, and immunity. Then we're going to learn what your feet can tell you about your health. We're also going to get the insider scoop on the local restaurant scene. And lastly, we're going to hear the best way to overcome shyness. But first, a little bit of business. Support for today's show comes from Purica. Inspired by nature and backed by science, Purica creates new horizons in health and wellness by empowering you with the finest whole foods, supplements, and lifestyle solutions. The Purica vision is a world where you achieve your fullest potential in every aspect of life, work, and play. Purica products are inspired by nature and are all vegan, non-GMO, and gluten-free. Purica, a winner of Science and Technology Awards for Innovation, is Canadian-owned and Canadian-operated and proud to serve the world around us. Purica Natural Supplements are also backed by Science and Health Canada approved. Studied, tested, validated. Purica. Our first guest is Tanya Ritko. She's a registered holistic nutritionist and a strong advocate of a balanced, integrative approach to health. Tanya's core interests include stress management and optimizing immunity. She represents Purica, a complete wellness company, as director of education. As a new mother, her passion for plant-based, whole food nutrition has only increased, especially around natural supplements designed to enhance immunity for family members of all ages. She can be reached at tanya at purica.com. Hi, Tanya. Welcome back to The Tonic. Yes, thanks a lot for having me. It's great. So today we're going to learn all about gut health. That's right. <laughs> Which is good because I know nothing about gut health. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's an important one, that's for sure. That's uh don't have your gut health, you're not gonna feel you just yeah, you just don't feel quite right. So why is it so important? You know, uh, it's important for sort of obvious reasons that it um, you know, breaks down our food into nutrients, which, of course, is important for energy, growth, cell repair, and elimination of waste and toxins. But, you know, it's, it's more important than that. It's also, those, of course, are, are crucial, but it also, there's interconnection with our immune system and also uh, a lot of research more done on uh, the brain and how it's affecting the gut and brain connection. So it's a huge thing, and sometimes we don't think about it. You know, we eat our food and we don't really think about it, and we have sometimes, you know, feel a bit bloated or that, and uh, we don't really realize maybe how our moods can be affected. Going back to, to immunity for a second, what is the connection? I didn't know about that. Yeah, it's really interesting about the connection because there's actually, a lot of people don't know, 70% of our immune system actually resides in our gut. Our, wow. our gut flora, yeah, our gut flora and immune system are connected, and they affect one another. And there's, uh, and it's it's um, important barrier between our body and the outside wall. So if, if we're basically, for example, we all go out and 
go out for dinner and we eat something. And, I mean, nothing is 100% sterile ever. So we're taking in food and we're going to take in some bacteria or that. that just naturally in life, nothing sterile. So it's our uh, gut that actually helps protect us. And if we don't have, if our gut is out of balance, if we have more bad bacteria than good bacteria, then we can, it can start to become an issue. So it's almost like a first line of defense then, right? So Yeah. so, like, exactly. if if the bad bugs get beyond the bugs we have in our tummies uh, mm-hmm. that counteract it, then it, it may become a, an immune issue. Is that is that right. sort of the understanding? Yeah, exactly. Like you see somebody or sort of situations where you're, you're you know certain our bodies are supposed to digest our food, and and if there's food particle or you know, it's just being able to the digested food and avoid the the toxins or the bad you know bad pathogens getting in there. So basically, if they leak you know leaky gut scenario that kind of thing where, uh, you know, food is, and our body starts having reactions, which actually you see with uh, anything autoimmune or, uh, you know, arthritis, different things, for Hmm. sure. And then, I mean, a lot of things that we hear about or that we experience is more, and it's sort of a broad term, is IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. And that's very different than IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease. So an irritable bowel syndrome would be, a lot of times we are just, it's more your inner mucosal layer. So a lot of times, like irritation, where the inflammatory bowel disease more like your underlying epithelium muscular layers like Crohn's and diverculitis that we hear. Right. So we hear a lot more about you know, IBS and a lot of uh, discomfort with that. But that can turn in if we don't take care of it, of course, can escalate into something worse. So being bloated is good to, if you're feeling bloated or digestive issues or feeling uncomfortable, it's good to not just ignore it. Sometimes right. <laughs> we think it's okay. We go have something and we're like, after you eat, you, you're, if you're always feeling bloated, that's a sign that you may be having some issues. Right. And you mentioned also the connection between the gut and brain and cognitive response, which I would never have thought of. Yeah, this is really, I find, incredibly interesting because it's actually been, they say, dubbed our second brain. And we often think about, I know, uh, you know people say, oh, my gut instinct or my gut right. feeling or you're nervous or anything like that. We don't realize, but the brain and the gut and the brain is connected um, actually in communication by the vagus nerve, which actually signals also, you know, help signal the, the gut to digest food. But there's actually, a lot of people don't know, there's 500 million nerve cells in our gastrointestinal tract. Hmm. So they're in the, um, you know, or, or what we know as the enteric nervous system. Mm-hmm. So it's all in the walls of, you know, everything from our esophagus, stomach, and intestines. So it's actually got the second largest concentration of nerves next to the brain. So a lot of times that gut feeling that we feel yeah. or that... You know, there's actually makes a lot of sense because we have so many nerves in that it's second largest place next to our brain that did, we have all these nerves connected. Did you so, say it was it was the vagus nerve? Is that what you called it? Yes. yes well, it's interesting you should say that because I get my gut intuitions when I play poker in Las Vegas. So <laughs> it must be natural when I when, might I, be a connection. when I when I fold my pocket kings. It must be the vagus nerve that's talking to me. That's what you should say at one of your poker games. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that would get some interest. And and the other thing that I find interesting is we talk about moods and how our mood is affected. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but 90% of our serotonin is in the gut. Hmm. So they've done studies that, you know, about low levels, there's some low levels of of, uh, serotonin can be linked with depression or so if you're feeling your mood. So it's, it's a prime source of serotonin. 
So is, does no. this tie into like emotional eating? Like if you find yourself eating emotionally, or is that a separate issue? You know, that's interesting because our brains, I mean, that I, I think our moods are affected and if our serotonin is often our feeling our mood. So there's that connection i'm sure there's um yeah that's that's uh that would be i I mean that's something that a lot of people emotional eating so i could see and if you're and of course when you're emotional eating sometimes you don't eat the right foods right so that's not going to help your gut either usually usually it's like one of those things like they say don't go shopping when you're hungry you know or don't don't, or don't binge on ice cream in the middle of the night when everybody's sleeping but i'm just i'm using that as a vague reference i'm not speaking of myself of course um (laughs) so for our listeners how would they know like, what are, what are some of the signs that your gut is not quite healthy? You know, as I mentioned before about the bloating, especially, yeah. you know, if after meals you're feeling. But also, you get a lot of allergies. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, there's some kind of obvious, like, what goes in must come out. So if you're constipated or the opposite of that, yep. those are some pretty big signs that you're not. Uh, the other thing is... But we're, we're no. talking, you're, you're talking more about repeated instances. Like, once in a while, it could just be like you... Yeah, a little bloating, something. like something yeah. off. Uh, but if you're kind of having repeated, that's that's it. Or also time, sometimes if you are having sort of these off times where you're bloated, then you might also want to look and see if you have some sort of allergy to a certain food. A lot of times there's a lot more people with you know, gluten or dairy or different intolerances to, to check out to make sure that you're not keep eating these repetitive foods that can cause inflammation and cause issues. And the other thing is if you're, if you're finding that you're you know, taking antioxidants or laxatives or digestive aids or you're really needing something to die, you don't feel like you need to digest food all the time, then it's good to not just ignore that. Sometimes we tend to just think it's, it becomes a new norm, but actually to look into it because, of course, can be uh, become later more of an issue if we don't if we just ignore things like anything. Yeah, I, you know, for me personally, like I, I can tell if I'm coming down with something or if, if something's off. Usually, I feel it in my stomach or, or my gums. Actually, those are the two. Really? Warnings. Yeah, those are the two yeah. warning signals for me. If my gums are tender or you know if my stomach's off, you know I know something's coming down the proverbial and perhaps literal pipe. Uh, yeah, I think we did. And I think that a lot of people just didn't really think about, oh, their gut, you know, when we use that word, gut feeling or that, yeah. or, and, or if you have something, you're nervous, or, you know, and you wonder, of course, that affects sometimes your gut in obvious ways. But something you really think about being so connected, but a lot more research on that, which is, I think, pretty interesting how it can affect your moods and about the serotonin level. I find that, that uh, you know, there's a lot of... In- it makes you inspired to want to take care of it, especially For sure. when you know it's affecting your mood or can affect your overall well-being. Absolutely. So, what are some of the factors that can interfere with with one's gut health? And a lot of times, if somebody is in a, especially if you've been on antibiotics, it's good to think about. It. Even if you haven't been on them recently, but you've know, been on antibiotics, a round of antibiotics, or for a while, that can definitely affect. Toxic loads. So if you're eating a lot of junk food, foods that your body doesn't recognize, like yep. if you're because uh, your body recognizes like you know, fruits and vegetables because they have and they have the enzymes to help with digestion. Uh, the big one, and I know we talked about this before, of stress. Because if yep. you're in your fight or flight, your body slows down on digestion, can create inflammation. So you want to be in that you know rest and digest instead of the fight or flight. So. I, I would think hydration would come into it, too. And hydration, absolutely. You know, if you're not hydrated, that's huge. That's huge. I, I, and, and that's something for myself. I've always had to remind myself, drink water, drink water. I don't think we... And, and oftentimes, we don't do it till we're 
thirsty. You know, we just don't, we're not as proactive sometimes, so. Well, by the time you're thirsty, it's probably too late, you know? Yeah, like- you're really dehydrated by that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And alcohol, you know, alcohol kind of as well affect, or if you have too much caffeine. So, I mean, a cup isn't good, but if you're, if you're really down in the coffee, then you might, uh, you know, that's can throw you on a balance too. And, and uh, I mean, the, a glass of wine here and there is not going to, but if you're, Guzzling the bottle every night, then you might want to look at that. Maybe causing some well, if you're guzzling well. a bottle every night, I think there are bigger issues than yeah, exactly. just your gut health. But I, yeah, but I hear what bit. you're saying. <laughs> yeah. You know, the first one that you mentioned was after antibiotics, and you know, I think people have to recognize that when the antibiotics come in, and, and they're using stronger and stronger antibiotics mm. because because you know there's so many of them that have been rendered useless. They don't just take out the yeah. bad bio; they take out the good bio too. That's right? right. Yeah, the good and the bad exactly. And so, I mean, it's great they're getting rid of the bad stuff because you know, sometimes antibiotics, absolutely, somebody has to go on them. But, yeah, taking out the good the good with the bad is the issue for sure. So having, it's really important to kind of get that, get that balance back in or otherwise we start having some issues and we don't sometimes understand why we are. But then we don't realize, hey, you know, it's the, the antibiotics. We've been on antibiotics and our gut's not quite back to normal. So, so great to, you know, prebiotics and probiotics. We heard a lot of that. Well, there, there, are, there are some foods that people can eat if they want to yes. replace the, the bacteria, the good ones, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. The prebiotic, actually, it's a prebiotic, probiotic can get kind of confusing, but the prebiotic, I like how someone described it, it's like fertilizer for the garden. It's okay. actually, it's... But nobody, nobody wants to eat fertilizer, Tony. No, you know no. That. Yeah, that's a bad, bad, yeah. maybe bad analogy, but it's kind of <laughs> like basically soluble fiber used to help the beneficial bacteria. Right. Uh, you know, as fuel. So basically, they can have like for in that case, and that's the fiber. And then I'll talk about the you know Jerusalem artichokes. There's leeks. There's onions. Chicory root, which mm-hmm. is uh, contains inulin, garlic, yep. cabbage. So there's different things that are in our foods that we can get you know prebiotics and can work on getting you know incorporating more of those. And then same with probiotics, we can get some of that in our food. Sometimes we need a little bit more help if we're really out of balance. But there's a lot of fermented like kefir. Mm-hmm. Sauerkraut, I don't know if you eat any of uh, these, or like uh, sauerkraut. Kombucha, kimchi. like all the fermented stuff. Misu, slaw. yeah. Yep. Kombucha, they're, uh, fresh pickles you can have. But these, what I like about these is they are helpful bacteria, but they also are enzymes that can help with your digestion as well. So you're helping get that flora back, but you're also getting, you know, also helping digest your food. But sometimes you need a little bit more if you're, if you're really out of balance. Yeah, going back to the prebiotics for a second, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, does oatmeal qualify? Because I know it's very high in fiber. Is it soluble? It has, you know, it has some, it it has some benefits. You know, I'd have to take a look at sometimes what level it's, you know, what level, but I know they specifically, Jerusalem, artichokes, leeks, onions, chicory root, those kind of things, garlic, cabbage, some have a bit, you know, more than others, but um, these ones are, have, you know, those are kind of known as being the... The cruciferous uh, vegetables are good. I know that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So beyond food, when would somebody want to sort of supplement the process? You know, when someone wants to supplement, like we were talking about antibiotics, when you've maybe had a round of antibiotics, you'll really, you need to do a little bit more, add a little bit of help. So great to still incorporate the prebiotics and probiotic foods for sure, but also sometimes, you know, probiotic to kind of rebalance that gut. So that's really 
Yeah, you know, that's important. So there's different kinds if you're taking, and then, and then also, too, if you're just, if you're really, your body's out of, like, if, for instance. You just um, had the flu or something, maybe. Yeah, if you're just feeling, yeah, out of balance, and you're getting some of these signs that you're, you know, bloated, allergic constipation, you may, you want to take a look at that. If it's something, of course, serious and, you know, get checked out. But in the case of irritable bowel syndrome. Yep. Then that would be, you know, you definitely want to want to be able to incorporate that's going to help and uh okay well we only have time for one more question and wow yeah i know time flies right (laughs) uh even under our brand new format what would you be looking for when supplementing what what would you recommend you know when you're looking for supplementing especially with probiotics you want to look for it's not always more is better sometimes if you're looking for something like ibs for instance you want to go for specific strains that target that so I would look at clinical studies, making sure there's clinical studies, mm-hmm. uh, and that's so that's really important to make sure that the strains take a look in the clinical studies to back up. And then also, I think for everyone we talked about before, magnesium helps with calming the nerves. So a lot of times we're deficient. So to incorporate some of that through food, but it also helps with stress, and then that can also overall impact. Yeah, so important and, and get your your fiber in, hydration, and uh, just stress. Of course, stress reduction is really important too. Fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We'll, have you, ba- we'll have you back next month. we got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss what your feet can tell you about your health on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. Many of us know the feeling of sore feet, but how many of us pay attention to the foot discomfort? Your feet mirror your general health. Conditions such as arthritis, diabetes, nerve and circulatory disorders can present initial symptoms in the feet. If you're concerned about your feet, you can visit a chiropodist without a referral. Covered by extended health plans, they provide assessment, treatment and management of individual and chronic conditions. Chiropodists recommend routine foot exams, much in the way you go to a yearly eye exam or dental cleaning. Visit OntarioChiropodist.com to find a chiropodist near you. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. My next guest, Katie Blundell, has been practicing chiropody in the GTA since 2013 and is a current board member for the Ontario Society of Chiropodists. Welcome to The Tonic. Thank you, Jamie. So what is a chiropodist? So a chiropodist... Am I, sorry, am I, am I pronouncing it right? Is it chiropodist? Is it chiropodist? I get that a lot. Yeah. Um, technically, both are correct. Okay. A chiropodist, that's more the British pronunciation. Right. So in Ontario, we tend to say chiropodist. Yes. But it's tomato-tomato. We'll take that. And you're not going to be offended either way? I will not, no. Okay, sorry, I cut you off. What is the work that you do? Okay, so a chiropodist is basically a foot care specialist, right? Some people know the term podiatrist. Yes. That's the, the term used in the rest of the world. 
Ontario still uses the term chiropodist. Why do they do that? We have a regulation from the early 1990s that used the term chiropody because we wanted to follow the British model instead of the more American model of podiatry. But since then, the rest of the world has taken on the term podiatry. So all the other provinces are podiatry. But in Ontario, we're still chiropodists. There's a couple people who got the term podiatrist because they snuck in there a little bit early and had some American training. But we're all regulated by the same healthcare professional act and the same college. So essentially the same. So you're all capable of doing the same work, right? Just about, yeah. Okay. And why would somebody go to see a chiropodist generally? So it could be anything foot-related. Okay. We do skincare on feet, so whether it's warts, corns, callus, ingrown toenails, right. fungus, athlete's foot, all the glamorous stuff. Yeah, yeah we do that. Um, we also do a lot of biomechanics, so heel pain, foot pain, and it extends up to knee pain, hip pain, back pain. So we do shoes, orthotics, that type of thing. Do you do reflexology or is that something separate? That would be something separate. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I understand that chiropodists feel that your feet can tell you something about your general health. Right? Like, yeah. What do, you, what do you mean by that? There's a few things. So we can see certain illnesses in your feet sometimes right. ahead of when you might find them elsewhere. Not always, but sometimes. So, for example, with diabetes. Right. You get a lot of sensation loss in diabetes. So that can be one of the first signs. I actually have patients that have come in and didn't know they had diabetes until they got a wound on their foot, which comes from having sensation loss. Right. Oh, what do you mean? Like they're not aware and they're like they, it gets banged up or? Yeah. So when you have high blood sugar, right, high sugar in your, your right. blood, it can affect your circulation and it can affect your nerves. And usually the first ones to go are in your feet. Right. So you're walking around and you can't feel, which is bad yes. for various reasons, yeah. obviously. Right. So you can't feel, you know, that there's a stitch in your shoe that's rubbing or you can't feel that there's a heavy callus on the ball of your foot and that you're actually getting a pressure sore underneath. So not being able to feel is a a big deal. So that's something we screen for as chiropodists. So you could come in, we could do a nerve screening and find out your sensation's not great and refer you back to your doctor, get a few checks done there, and then keep up from the foot care side as well. Are there any other major illnesses that you can tell sort of as a foot-first type symptomology? I mean, not necessarily foot first, but certainly we see the signs of peripheral vascular disease, so circulation issues. Another big one would be biomechanical issues, so arthritis. You know, a lot of people have fallen arches. You might have heard of this. Essentially, most people have an arch. Not everyone has flat feet. Most people have an arch, but it collapses when you step down. If you think about it, when your foot collapses like that, your whole leg rotates. Yes. So your knee gets pushed in, your hip gets pushed in. And that causes grinding on your knee, grinding on your hip. So if I can see something in your foot, I can tell you that you're going to have hip pain or back pain. And if we can address it, we might prevent hip pain or prevent further hip pain. I see. So some of the things that you're talking about, are they age-related? So is there like an age when you would recommend people come for a regular checkup? I mean, any age is good. I've seen two-day-old babies, actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. I've seen two-day-old babies. That was an ingrown toenail in that case, but sometimes you see them for, it's called metatarsis adductus, like the way that their feet turn in. How did they know that the two-day-old baby had an ingrown nail? That's crazy. Oh, it just, it started getting swollen and red and... 
So they'd come in. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But that is probably not my most common patient. No, I would expect not. Yeah. (laughs) Really any age can come in. I mean, I see all ages personally. Mm -hmm. I like treating kids because you can do a lot of preventative stuff. Right. So aside from, you know, the obvious, the ingrown toenails, we're really good at ingrown toenails, by the way. So if you ever come. (laughs) Okay. So besides that and, and warts and such, for kids, a lot of the biomechanical issues that we see in adults, you know, that knee pain, that hip pain. Right. Kids can present the foot type that's going to cause that. So I can look at a kid's foot and say, okay, if you maybe wear this type of shoe or you wear this type of orthotic, we can prevent a lot of damage, which is great because, you know, parents come in or adults come in and they say, oh, I have terrible feet and I got it from my dad. My feet are just like his. Right. Well, the same thing happens with your kids, right? Right. So there's no real age to start coming in. You can get screening very young. Mm Mm-hmm. That being said, you can also come later in life and we can prevent further damage or relieve some stress off of those joints as well. I once went to a spa down in the States, a very famous one, and part of what they did is they put me on a treadmill to see my gait. Is that the type mm-hmm. of thing that you would do in your office or is that more specialized? No, no, that's exactly what we would do. We don't, I mean, often I can see what your foot is going to do just by looking at you stand. <laughs> it, it was more, you know, I think they showed me a video. I think, you know, it's very fancy schmancy spa. Yeah. So the idea was I could see whether I was pronating or not. But so that's the, that would be some of the diagnostic tools you would use, right? Yeah, for sure. That's a great tool, especially to show people what their feet look like. So sometimes I'll take videos in clinic and, and show people, mm-hmm. um, but you don't necessarily need it. Like I can tell before the video comes out. <laughs> okay. We walked down on. the hall. Was, was I okay? Cause yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay, because, you know, I've had to stop running because I had an Achilles issue where I, I kept sort of uh, spraining it and I had to go for some therapy. And, I, you know, there were a couple of summers where I was quite limited. And now it's gotten to the point where I can't run at all. And, I, I you know, you and I were talking before the show. Mm-hmm. And if only I had come to you, I could have he- dealt with those biomechanical issues, right? For sure. There's, there's a lot that you can prevent. Like if you... If you think of it, the foot is the base of the house, right? Right. It's the base of your body. So if we can set up the way that your foot alignment is, we can set up the way that your leg alignment is, your back alignment, et cetera, et cetera, and really prevent a lot of sports injuries, right? especially things like running or any kind of sport. And it's a shame, you know, we recently did a survey mm-hmm. of women in Ontario and over a third of them don't exercise regularly just due to foot pain. Wow. And that's foot pain a lot. I thought it was because they were lazy. No. <laughs> More to it. What do you know? Yeah. They've got, I think they're, maybe they're using the, the excuse. No. I, I mean, I won't get I into the psychology it. of it, but, it. but no. that's what the study said. And that's just foot pain. That's, again, right. not considering that knee pain can come from your feet or hip pain can come from your feet. I'm an example of that. It's all, by the way, you're new to the show. It, it's all about me. It always comes back okay, to me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but, but I started off having Achilles problems and then now that's sort of developed into knee problems. I don't have the hip problems because I stretch out my hips a lot because I spin now. So I, but I'm convinced that the knees only came about, my knee problems only came about because of the initial foot problems, which I'm I'm sure you would agree with me is probably the case. It could be. We should probably do some talk after this. After the show, (laughs) you and I have to. For sure. So let's talk about you. You mentioned it briefly. Is there more to the hereditary aspect of it, foot problems? or, Or is it just like, if you know that your parents have a problem, you should probably get yourself checked out. I mean, there's more to it, right? Right. Everyone's going to be influenced by, you know, what shoes they wear, what type of activity they do. But certain things are hereditary. Your general foot type 
can be hereditary. How lax your ligaments are can be hereditary. So that can make you more susceptible to certain things. So it's, you know, if you know that your parent has had foot issues, bunions or or heel pain, plantar fasciitis, Mm -hmm. anything like that, that's a very good reason to come in. But certainly not the only reason. You can come in even if they have perfect feet because you could be hurting them in other ways. True enough. So it's summer season and we're just sort of getting into the nice weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what that means is people are wearing footwear that obviously doesn't have the support or the protection they would have if they were wearing shoes or boots, right? We're into flip-flop season. Yeah. And that poses problems, right? Poses problems for most people. It means I get a lot more patience, but it poses problems for a lot of people. So it's good for you. <laughs> yeah, sure. In that way. No, flip-flops, I mean, I think we can all agree they're they're pretty bad for you. I mean, in that survey we did, over 50% of women wear flip-flops and over 50% of those women have pain when they're wearing flip-flops. Right. So it's funny because we go to it as the convenient shoe and the comfortable shoe, but it's really not. No, it's, there's no support. No. So definitely no support. Like if you were looking at an ideal sandal, you'd have something that has lots of straps. Yep. So it's really going to hold onto your foot. Mm-hmm. If it's a flip-flop style, the straps should be higher up on your instep. So they're securing your arch, right? right? You want to not be clawing your toes or gripping to hold on to the shoe. Right. You want it to fit the contour of your foot. If it has an arch, like a bump in the middle, yep. that's great. If it has a cup on the heel, that's even better. That's going to hold your heel, prevent heel cracks and fissures. And you really want something that is larger than your foot. Right. You and don't I'll, want your toes hanging over. You don't want your toes. This is women out there. I'm looking at you because I've seen your feet as you walk up and down the streets you really need shoes that are bigger than your foot or you're just going to be hurting yourself. Right. And slides are just as, as bad too, right? I mean, I see kids, uh, you know, running around in slides and my idiot son plays basketball in slides and, it, uh, you know, it yeah. can't be good, right? No, no. Right. You're, they're not fitting your foot very well. Okay. We only have time for, for one more little question and that sure. is foot health and, you know, what can happen for with pedicures and going to the nail salon. Do you want to sort of elaborate on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, nail salons can be very nice. You have to be so careful because they don't have the same regulations, yep. right, as the healthcare professionals do. So often it's not sterilization, it's disinfection. Yep. You really want to make sure that they are doing disinfecting, that they are using different nail files on every person. Yep. They should be lining the bag or lining the tub where you soak your feet with a bag so that you're not sharing germs with everyone else. Yep. And really, if you do have some other health complications, whether it's diabetes, circulation issues, or any immune system problems, you probably shouldn't be going there. You should come and see a chiropodist. We'll do your nails. We'll do your routine care. And then you can get them painted after. For more information, where should people go? They can go to our website, which is ontariochiropodist.com. And just remember, there's no referral required, and you can come for a screening anytime. Great. Thank you for coming in this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll get the inside scoop on the Toronto restaurant scene on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural Liquid Greens. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. 
This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Vito Marinuzzi, was born and raised in Toronto's East End and came up in the restaurant industry the old-fashioned way, through nepotism. His cousin, restaurateur Gino Rana, hired him as a 15-year-old dishwasher and busser and later gave him a shot as a waiter. Vito's job was as much to fight the prevailing whitewashed version of Italian food in Toronto as it was to get people to try the good stuff. And he did. Now, as co-owner with his famous mom of two locations of seven numbers on the Danforth and Eglinton West, Vito knows the food his kitchen prepares not only preserves the culinary heritage, but innovates within it. Welcome back to The Tonic. Thanks for having me back. So you and I are are just back from vacation. Where were you? I was in Sicily. And I was in Spain with the family. And Europeans know how to eat, right? I mean, they really do know how to eat. I was was there and it's always like pressing a reset button on the food world. One thought I I took away was here we're always trying, well not always trying, but people are always trying to sort of uh, reinvent the wheel and a lot of the stuff is on the edge. Yep. They just keep it simple. It's almost like they go the other way. Let's use the least amount of ingredients, but the greatest ingredients in the world in that item. And and that's really it, right? I mean, the simplest food can be the most delicious if it's fresh, right? Right. And they don't monkey about. If they're on the Mediterranean, you're going to get fish from the Mediterranean. You know, they're not they're not interested in bringing in shipping in food from hours away. No, I don't know another like uh, a culture that eats that seasonally. Like we're eating uh, apricots for the whole week because apricots were in season. Yeah, Uh, amazing. And, and, you know, I think it used to be like that here, right? I mean, you know, in Canada, back in the day. Maybe back in the day. Maybe even in rural Canada. But in the in the cities of North America, we expect strawberries 12 months of the year. My, right. my son wants strawberries every morning for breakfast. Well, who doesn't? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now they're getting good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Ontario strawberries are out. So, you know, let's talk about some of the key differences between, you know, beyond the, the product. I think the approach to service and, and just, you know, the way the menu's structured and all sorts of different things are different. One thing I noticed, and getting away from the food, is tipping. So, for example, I don't know what it's like in, I haven't been to Italy in a bit, but in Spain, there's no tipping. Uh, It's all part and parcel of one bill. Right. I mean, there's, I don't want to say there's no tipping. I mean, everybody leaves a... You can leave a little extra. Something really nominal. Like when we go with family, there's 15 of us and my uncle left, I think, three euros. For me, it would be embarrassing, but that was normal. Um, But I have two cousins who work in the industry and one who owns in the industry. So uh, there's a depend. A waiter makes 1,600 euros a month. That's that. Right. So tipping is maybe a few bucks every night, I guess. Yeah, it's to express when they've done a particularly good job, right? As opposed to the de rigueur that's expected here. We went out for dinner the other night, and, you know, when you pay with Interac, they hand you the the mechanism to to punch in your numbers. And, you know, it used to be that you could do it by percentage or you could do it by dollar. But the restaurant we went to, which remained nameless, only had the option of percentages. Oh. And the only 
percentages that they offered were either 15, 20, or 25%. No other? No other. Wow. Which I found very presumptuous. They were, well, <laughs> pretty entitled. They would have programmed that. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, like ours still gives you the options. Right. And I, I found it shocking. First of all, it's not, it wasn't a cheap restaurant. And second of all, historically, you know, my dad always taught me, you tip on the food, you don't necessarily tip on the tax and you don't tip on the alcohol. That's sort of iffy. Some people do, some people don't. I guess it depends on what I, percentage. I, yeah, I don't think that applies anymore. I mean, I, I know it doesn't, but I mean... As a rule, I think it's now become 20% pre-tax. And I would say more than half the world is 20% post-tax. Well, that's just it. These new right. programs are tipping on the tax as well. Right. So that when you get up to 20, 25%... Big money. It's big money. Yep. Uh, and it really makes a difference to a meal when the average meal, I would say the average meal for two in Toronto at a high-end restaurant is 150 to $200 a couple. Oh, yeah. You'd be hard-pressed to go less than that. So I thought it was kind of refreshing that in Europe, you're, you're not really dealing with It's just with gone. That. It's eliminated. And whatever you leave is so, so appreciated. Like, you know, we left a few dollars at one place and, you know, handshakes and drinks and like really, really appreciated because they don't get it very often. Another key instance, and obviously it's because we were in a, uh, in a country with great wine tradition, is the alcohol was just so much less expensive in Europe than it is here. Seven euros yeah. for a bottle or a liter. Ten would be like on the high end. Yeah. Uh, and often they would just like leave a red and a white on the table with a bottle of mineral water. Like that's on the table. You just drink whichever one you want to drink from and then we'll figure out the charges later. Yeah, the alcohol culture is very different there. It's not like here at all. I mean, everybody drinks but never in abundance. Always very right. controlled. Yes. So we would go out. I'm sure we'd have many bottles of wine but it was never like here where everybody's sort of getting loose and drinking <laughs> heavily. And then you'd have one drink after dinner, maybe another, and those were never on the bill. I don't think we were charged for a single like post-dinner drink. Like uh, the grappas. Yeah, like or a the, grappa, limoncello, or, or maybe something more local, an amaro. It was never on there. I, it's almost like, of course you're going to have one of those. It's part of the meal. Vermouth. That was the big thing in Spain, right? They, oh, they sip for, vermouth. Okay. Yeah, no. I, I've got to I got to find the sipping vermouth. That was apparently the big deal. And our guide was telling us it's really bad form to get loose, as you say, yes. like you're expected to hold your liquor. Yeah. So if you're going to Spain or Italy, just make sure you're not you're not you're not a raving drunk. That's right. that's yeah. the takeaway point. Yeah, you won't see any. You'll be the only one. I think there's one aspect of the dining experience uh, in North America which I actually think is better, but I could see it changing, and that is, you know, when you go to a restaurant in Europe, you pay for the bread that comes to your table, and you pay for the water, whether it's flat or sparkling. Whereas in North America, that's still you know, unless you're buying a sparkling water specifically, you're going to get the bread and water for free. For right. Part. We had that discussion while we were there because there was a few other gentlemen, uh, people in the restaurant business, and their bread was excellent, but yeah. they charged for it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and most of us said, well, we buy our bread because we used, like, we used to make our bread, but it became very expensive. So we don't charge. Uh, in Italy, it's called a coperta. So three euros a person. Right. And that covers your bread, water, olive oil, which the olive oil was always excellent, and in Toronto it's not. And the bread was always excellent, and in Toronto it's maybe not as good. Do you think you could get away with doing something like that in uh, Yeah, I think, I think there are now 20% of restaurants, I made that number up, but that um, <laughs> charge for a bread basket. Right. Like, so you, you go out but, now, you don't get bread, and then you'll say, can I get some bread, and it's $3 for the basket or something like that. Right. That's totally fine with me, as long as the bread basket is delicious and has some reputable bread in there. And, you know, one of the other trends that I, I'm noticing is when I go to a restaurant, there seems to be so much more action out of the kitchen with food delivery. 
it seems now it's it's a bigger component of of a restaurant's uh, money making. Right? Yeah, I mean, there's probably three or four platforms that are big, and there's a couple of new ones coming on board right now. We avoided it for the longest time. Very. Exp- Expensive from a restaurant perspective to like use any of the platforms. Right, they take quite a fair cut, but there's no way around it. We we jumped on. I mean, there was people. The public wants it. They want to sit on their couch and get their food in 20 minutes. Right. They don't necessarily want to go to the restaurant anymore, right. but they so, still want your delicious food, right? Absolutely. Who, yeah. Who, who wouldn't want your mom's lasagna? Well, that's exactly right to their house, right. Our best seller. Someone's on their couch, and we, you know, one of the platforms promises lasagna in 20 minutes. Right. So, which we can do, and so you look at it as a marketing dollar. You look at it as food, and kind of take all the costs. And it's not great. But it's an added stream of revenue, and it's more volume, and volume in our industry is big. You know, we need it. That's really interesting, because to me, when I'm sitting in the restaurant, I'm thinking to myself, okay, he doesn't have to pay for the linen. He's not paying for the wait staff. This has got to be a huge moneymaker for the restaurant to do the takeout. But you're saying, no, it's, it's different. They, they take a big chunk. I mean, it's they leave us a little bit, right. but a very little bit. I mean, naturally, if you phone the restaurant and order two lasagnas and pick them up, yeah, we make more money. Right. Uh, some restaurants have taken on drivers, but... That doesn't work because most of us want to open that app that's super easy. Right. And the platform becomes more important than what's actually happening. We just want to pay with Apple Pay. We want to oh, order I've heard on- story of my kids' friends who are ordering like one McDonald's hamburger oh, on, yeah, this, no on, on, the, on the app, which to me, just like, get off your ass and go go, Listen, go get the hamburger, you know? On Monday when cannabis is legal, yeah. the app will go through the roof. Oh, I think you're right about that. So with the, with the food apps, and I guess the kitchen has to be more organized, right? Because you have a different flow. Like I know that restaurants sort of stagger you know, when they allow diners to come in and start so that the kitchens don't get slammed with all the orders. You have quite a bit of control within the app where you can delay it, pause it, add 20 minutes to your delivery time, slow it down. If you have a problem, you can... There's lots of sort of checks and balances along the way, but some of the restaurants that are doing super high volume have had to put in, like, I know two of them who have to put in an extra person who just handles the platforms, and that's their job. And wow. what most of us have done is chosen items that we know we can handle, like in our case, lasagna meatballs. Right. So it's, not the the, it's not the full menu necessarily. No, if you, I put steak on there and it's Friday night, it's going to be a problem. Right. Our, our grill couldn't handle it. Our kitchen couldn't handle it. So, But we kept items that we could handle. So in addition to, to the takeout, there are other, you, you mentioned revenue streams. I, I know that for some restaurants, it'll be like a cookbook that goes out there that's branded or branded sauces, which sauces. you have some Yeah, experience. we've done a branded sauce. Um, funny enough, the one thing we don't market and we don't brand is our hot peppers and that we sell the most of. We have these house-made hot peppers. Yeah, no, everybody asks. Yeah. Uh, and now we... We jar them pretty well weekly and sell them. People will be having dinner and ask for the hot peppers and off they go. So we're selling quite a bit of them. And it's great. I mean, people take them up. I have one guy who takes like a dozen jars of sauce. He brings his own jars into the restaurant. We fill them up. And then he grabs like six jars of hot peppers and off he goes up to his cottage. Wow. So it's cool. Yeah. And you had some experience uh, attempting to brand the, the sauce, right? I did. It was, uh, it's a, I mean, it's a lot of work and you don't make a lot of money. And then getting... Nobody makes a lot of money, right? No. Every, everybody well, makes, you, know, you can. Yeah. Uh, tomatoes, if you ever go to the supermarket and you go to the tomato sauce aisle, it is absolutely massive the selection so it's impossible to break in there you'd need an item that's not tomato sauce and unfortunately in our case it was tomato sauce it was sauce. tomato sauce right but it's uh, a delicious tomato sauce yeah it was, right? listen it was great you can't make it for cheap and it's very hard to get out there well thank you for coming in uh, that's all the time we have today you'll come back to the show I feel like we just started I know. We the just, tip of the we iceberg we just skimmed the, the surface well you'll come back next 100%. month 100% and we'll, we'll talk more restaurant stuff right thank you we gotta take a short break but when we come back we're gonna learn how to overcome shyness on the tonic.
Are you recently retired? Do you own your own home? Are you looking for funds to pursue a passion project, to renovate your home, or finally to go on that European vacation? A loan from Home Equity Bank can help. A chip reverse mortgage is a tax-free lifetime loan for up to 55% of a home's value. Available to Canadians age 55 or older who own their home with a minimum property value of $150,000. Funds from a reverse mortgage can be taken out in a lump sum, scheduled payments or both. And remember, a homeowner who takes out a chip reverse mortgage will never owe more than the fair market value of their home. Check out homeequitybank.ca for more information. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. You're listening to The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Cynthia Gould is a writer, artist, and rock singer. She survived extreme shyness and mostly cured herself. And now tries to intentionally do things that scare her. She runs BeLessShy.com and has written a book called Never Be Yourself. You're better than that. To share how she kicked her anxiety and shyness habits. Welcome to The Tonic. Thank you so much for having me. So what is shyness? Shyness is that icky, anxious, awkward feeling that we get when we're faced with a situation where we don't really feel comfortable and secure about it. It's sort of a level of panic. It can go full-blown panic attack, or it can just be sort of a low-level, creepy feeling in the back of your mind. And it's really common. Everyone gets it. There's a lot of situations where most people would be a little nervous, like if they're asking their boss for a raise or something like that. Or they're that. coming on a radio show. Exactly, exactly. My hands were totally shaking when I walked in. Oh, come on. No, I'm absolutely serious. You wouldn't know it, folks. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll see, because I've learned how to fake it. You know, my, my anxious moments come at parties. You know, I can get... A, I exactly. Can, I, I can I do an interview, no problem. And I can get up in front of hundreds, thousands of people and, on stage, and I'm totally fine. But if you put me in a party, I get very uptight. Yeah, it's basically especially, you know, the talking to strangers thing, it's like stage fright for everyday life. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, because you don't know what's going to happen and we have this anxiety about what if we say something and do something wrong and we have this feeling that everyone is judging us. Right. So when did you first decide that you didn't want to be shy anymore? Well, I'd been a very shy child and it was uh, rather bizarre. I actually, um, I was so uptight, I gave myself stomach ulcers in grade six. Oh, gosh. Because I was so terrified of being in school. It was very weird. So when I moved to Toronto and decided that, you know, I wanted to have this, you know, new life and I wanted to be an artsy person, I realized that I would have to sort of rewire who I was because that didn't fit with who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So I realized in order to stop being so shy, I would have to sort of align myself with 
uh, this new lifestyle and, you know, do a lot of hard work, really. Fake it till you make it. Exactly, exactly. But I was also sort of, I was always drawn to musicians and theater people and those sort of like larger than life personalities. So I'd hang out with them to sort of be near them in a safe way. Well, they tend to be yeah. more accepting of, of sort of outliers, right? I mean, if you're an exactly. art, if you're an artist, you're an outlier by nature, and you know, I think there's more compassion there for people who may not fit in or feel awkward in social situations. Exactly, and people like that don't mind, you know, quiet people hanging around because they're fans, they're groupies, they're the ones that make the zines. Well, they're out there being the rock stars, right? And then finally, I sort of realized that. I want to be a rock star. It's my big secret. I mean, probably a lot of people have that secret dream. I think so, too. But I really wanted it. So I had to start kind of making steps toward just getting out of this shyness and learning how to control the anxiety. Yeah, so so what did you do? So what, what, how did you start? Well, I started going to spoken word events in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would hang in the back very, very quietly. And I saw how the performers... They don't just read a poem. They, like, perform it. It's right. kind of like a cross between theater and stand-up and these, these larger-than-life personalities. But it was simple. So it was attainable. It's just you and a microphone mm-hmm. and your poem. But I noticed how unbelievably supportive they were to newbies and how, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm nervous. It's my first time. Like, you would get unbelievable applause. So I thought, okay, this I can do. I've right. been writing poetry since I was little. I could actually do this. So I forced myself. And when I say forced, like for three days ahead of time, I had this black plague running through me. The Like, it was terror. I had terror. I, I really kind of can't believe that I did it that first time. I sort of whispered a poem to my shoes and then ran away, but they applauded anyway. Nice. So then I just had to do it again and again. And, and that's you, though. And, and I'm sure you cover this in your book. But that, to me, sounds like the hardest part, right? It, it's actually getting started. I mean, once you make the decision that you want to sort of change the way you interact with people, that's, I guess, step one. But step two, actually putting yourself out there. Do you have any advice for somebody who who maybe still might be reluctant to take that first step? Absolutely. Again, like you said, step one is decide. Right. But you can't just say, oh, I I would like for this to happen. No, you have to decide hard. You (laughs) have to make that decision and put it in your line of vision, you know, draw a red dot on your hand or something and be like, this is something I'm working on now. This is the new working on it me. Right. Um, Give yourself a crazy name if you want to. But then you have to, we don't have to, but it's helpful if you actually learn a bit more how the fear response works. Okay. And just do a little research on like, you know, anxiety and things like that. And then find little ways where you can sort of work that into your everyday life. There's a very, very common fear is talking to strangers. Yes. You know, nobody wants to talk to strangers. So find a way that you can do that a teensy bit in like as often as possible. And there's one thing that I've found works really great. I force myself to do this several times a week. It's the drive-by compliment. Okay. So, you know, you're at the supermarket and, yep. you're, you know, you're done. You, yes, I'd like a bag and, you know, cash or debit and do, do, do. And you're done and you're packing your stuff in your bag. And you're almost gone. And then just say something nice to the cashier. Like, oh, I like your watch. Or, oh, those are pretty earrings. Like something completely innocent. But you're just sort of talking to a stranger in a very, very safe way because you're almost leaving. They're not going to corner you in, into right. an hour-long conversation. They're working. They have to be polite to you. 
right. know, so like no, <laughs> no, no bad can come of this. You're complimenting someone. Right. So it's a very easy way to just get used to talking to strangers often. Right. I guess for somebody who's shy in those circumstances, it's the actual engagement that's the difficult part, right? Exactly. And once you get past the initial engagement, then you can sort of find commonality and, you know, from there you know, maybe you will engage in a conversation, right? Yes. And also, you have to build on experience. So when you're learning about how the fear response works, a lot of people think like, oh, well, if I'm terrified of something and I do it, the fear is going to like grow and grow and grow until, I don't know, I explode, until I die. Like, I don't know. But really, if you look at fear as sort of a level of like 1 to 10, and when you're in the terror of it, you're like at a 9.7. If you can just stand in it and breathe for a second, mm-hmm. it doesn't grow and grow and grow. It actually lessens. So you can actually, just by acknowledging it, yes, I'm scared. I'm talking to this person at a cocktail party. I'm kind of freaking out, but I'm in no physical danger. Mm-hmm. Really nothing bad is going to happen. They're not passing out from boredom. I'm going to be okay. Your fear level is going to decrease to the point where you can manage it. Yeah, I guess, I mean, ultimately, I think what you're saying is practice makes perfect, right? You know, Perfect is actually a dirty word. Okay. And I think it should be bleeped from this program and bleeped from people's minds. Okay. Um, I think the quest for perfection makes a lot of people psycho-loony. So I think people should just try to be good, you know, good enough, nice, pleasant. But part of the thing about shyness and anxiety and social anxiety is we think that people are judging us to bits. Right. When really, like, you're at a party, you're listening to people, you're really kind of looking to see if those good hors d'oeuvres are coming out again. I mean, you're not analyzing everybody under a microscope. I've come to realize that when I have sort of casual conversations, which I'm actually really not comfortable with, I I prefer actually a debate or something that I feel passionately about. But like making small talk is is just, uh, I find excruciating. But I find that most people have no memory of it. You know, I'll remember. Absolutely. I have an amazing memory and I can remember conversations that I've had, you know, from decades before. I remember people that I've only met once. And my experience is most people are very forgettable. I'm forgettable, apparently. They don't don't remember. (laughs) I think so. No, it's true. And they they don't people don't remember the conversations they have. They may remember sort of the aura of it. Oh, that person I met him, he or she is nice. They you were know, really I, into sci fi movies or, or something. Had bright hair. Right, but nobody remembers exactly what you were talking, except for me. So, oh, so well. you, exactly. So, if you meet me, I'll remember you. But that's okay. I won't. So, judge don't you. go to cocktail parties where you are. Yeah. But go to the ones where the normal people are. Exactly. Okay. That's gotcha. the that's the takeaway point. So, what was the worst thing about shyness for you? Now that you've sort of overcome it, or at least being able to cope with it. Uh, shyness is like kryptonite against you and your dreams. It's like this fence that stops you from doing things that you want to do, and it's. It's completely obnoxious, really. It's this barrier between the the you who you are, kind of stuck in this anxious spot, and the you who you want to be, who's out there doing things. Right. You know, all the happy things that normal people who aren't tied up in knots about it run around prancing about doing in fields. <laughs> <laughs> in your in your new book, which is Never Be Yourself, You're Better Than That, which is a very funny title. Thank you. You talk about shyness and anxiety. Give the listeners an idea of what they might read about in your book. Well, there's lots of action items which kind of balance the little lessons about how the brain is an idiot and um, how we can use the body to help us and things. And it was really funny, the expression you just made when I said the brain is an idiot. It's true, actually, because the brain is very primal and it doesn't understand the difference between being chased by a lion and having to speak to weird Uncle Jake at a cocktail party. Right. So you are still flooded with... 
you know, endorphins and cortisol and adrenaline and all these things that, you know, it actually narrows your vision so you can scan the horizon better. This isn't helpful to you when you're at a party. So the dry mouth and the shaking and the racing heart and all these things, it's your primal self and the primal part of your brain kicking in. So once you learn more about it, you can learn how slow, deep breathing slows the nervous system and you learn more ways to cope. So knowledge plus experience plus deciding to kick your own butt, that's sort of the magic formula. Well, that's amazing. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss the prevention and natural treatment of flatulence, exercising outdoors, and what it's like to defend an accused murderer. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.